And uh, tonight we will continue the shamatha part uh, of the Shuki Yalsen's text. Uh, I, I talked a little bit about the object uh, of shamatha practice in this context, in the Mahamudra context last time. And tonight I want to go in some of uh, his instructions. So we are not yet in the vipassana aspect of the text, so that all, all these questions of uh, who is the observer or what is aware, uh, right now they, they, they are not coming in. So that, the, these kind of questions, they are the vipassana aspect. So right now it's only about identifying the object of shamatha, which is the space within which everything is happening. And of course, the questions like, okay, who is watching, who is looking, then naturally arise from that. But right now we don't ask that question. We will start with that uh, next time. So right now it is about doing nothing and just being conscious about being conscious and not and not uh, wondering okay that consciousness or that awareness or the observer what is that or who is that so we are still in a dualistic meditation we still have a, a subject which we are right now not interested in and we have an object which is the space within which everything is happening and we are trying to become familiar with that space within which everything is happening. And that's quite difficult because it means to do nothing. And that's difficult for us. Because obviously you are conscious right now. Obviously you are aware right now. Otherwise you wouldn't hear the words, you wouldn't see anything. You wouldn't uh, feel the breath, you wouldn't feel the sensations, you wouldn't be aware of your thoughts. So it's, it's, it's really difficult because it's so simple. And so the question arises then, okay, what, what, what should I do? Yeah, so the answer is nothing, because it's already happening. It's, um, if we use a metaphor, and every metaphor, of course, is uh, a bit difficult, but imagine you sit uh, by the beach and you just, you are completely relaxed. You don't want to manipulate the ocean and the waves and the seagulls because you, you realize that's hopeless. You completely relax and you just open to the situation and you allow everything to be and you become curious about the space within which everything is happening. So that's shamatha without object. Uh, shamatha with object would be to then use something uh, within, within the field, for example, the sound or this, the, your feelings or the breath or you know, so anything and you focus in on that object and you stay engaged with that object. So that at one point you have the capacity to stay engaged with the object without losing it throughout the whole session. But now, Shiki Gyalsen's suggestion 
for as an entrance as an entrance into the Mahamudra practice, not to focus in, but to completely relax your awareness and to just simply become aware that you are conscious, that you are aware. So we are not looking for an object, and that's what people usually do. Like, okay, what is that awareness? Yeah. So like looking for an object. But this is shamatha without object. Just relax. Yeah? Just relax. So when I ask you right now, are you conscious? Then you would probably say yes. And so if you are aware that you're completely distracted, or if you're aware that you're completely tired, or if you're aware uh, that you are cloudy, uh, we are not interested in what you're aware of. We become curious about the fact that you are conscious about something. So when I ask the question, are you, uh, are you aware right now? Are you conscious right now? So just notice what happens then. How do you know that you're conscious now? How do you know that you're aware right now? Yeah. Obviously, there's objects of awareness. My voice, for example, if you have that a bit in your foreground right now. So there's objects. So an object needs a space to be. Yeah. Something which exists needs a space to be. Otherwise, it couldn't exist. And we are now curious about that space. So we, are, we become curious about that which is not changing throughout the last minutes, right now. So what I'm saying is changing, what you feel is changing, your thoughts are changing, but there's something which is not changing and that would be in the in the metaphor of sitting by the beach, that would be the space within which everything is happening. So now, I already mentioned that last time, the suggestion in the Mahamudra practice is to sit with open eyes. And, ah, yeah, thank you. Fortunately, I'm, I'm, I'm making a sound recording right now, so um, I forgot to press the recording. It, it, it always happens. But uh, so now I have to repeat what I just said. <laughs> so, the, the, so we are in the practice of shamatha without object. And in shamatha without object, we are not focusing on the content. So we are not focusing on sensations, on mental events, on feelings. Like we're focusing on the fact. No, we are, we are focusing on the space within which everything is happening. We are we becoming aware that we are aware right now, not what we are aware of. We are becoming conscious about being conscious. 
And I'm sorry, you can't put it better than that. I, I've listened to like three or four different teachings today <laughs> from different teachers, Alan Wallace, uh, Sven Glanson, um, Pema Schödren, and they can't say it better than this. They, they say the same. And even if I say the space is the object, that's a, just an approximation because uh, it's not really a space, no? but it's kind of probably the word which uh, is the best, uh, the best uh, placeholder for the experience of being aware that you are aware. The experience of being conscious that you are conscious. And it is something which does not change. All the objects change. So it is also called the non-moving mind. It's just presence. It's just being. It's just being here. Effortlessly being here. You, you are effortlessly being here. So if someone would say, be here now, that's bullshit because that's already done. So in a way, shamatha without object is already done. You can't, you cannot do it. It's just being here. It's the never-ending meditation. You can't start it and you can't stop it. And again, right now at this stage, we are not asking the question, hey, just, okay, what is that? What, who is the observer? What is the observer? So that's where uh, Vipassana practice starts. So we are still in the conventional, uh, we are still interested in the conventional level of the mind. So in clarity and space. So I'm going to try to play with that a bit in our first meditation. This is not a beginner's practice. So the beginner's practice would be shamatha with object. So if you get lost, if you feel, I don't know, I, I just can't be. I, I, it's just, I, what does it mean to just be? What does it mean to do nothing? So then it is obviously helpful to have a bit of an anchor. Yeah? So one can have a bit of a mixture of shamatha with object and shamatha without object. So there's always the breath as a possibility or the sensation in your hands or something coming up for you, something pleasant or unpleasant. So it's no problem to uh, then to rest on that and, and to uh, practice shamatha without with object, knowing what you're doing. Yeah, knowing. Yeah, I'm focusing on the breath. That's I'm focusing on the breath. That's not wrong. It's just not shamatha without object. It's just, it's just another entrance. Yeah. And that's where most of us actually need to start. Possibly. Uh, for quite some time, but also in the beginning of the meditation, it makes sense. And I'm going to do that also. 
So we will go from a bit of shamatha without object, not the usual stuff like bringing your attention to the body and the breath and allowing things to come and go. And so that's um, that's shamatha with uh, with object, and then letting go. For people who have invested a lot of time into the practice of shamatha with object, they might experience some resistance because it is a bit of an unlearning. So you maybe know someone who has trained many years and is very good, maybe has reached the fifth or sixth stage in the nine stages of shamatha practice. And it's so wonderful um, and you know, it has its beneficial effects. And suddenly, uh, you, the meditator needs to go away and it needs to take a break. And uh, that's difficult, particularly if you have invested a lot of time and you, you, are, you, are, you, you are good at it, you became good at it. Then to say, wow, wow, maybe this was a waste of time, which it wasn't, yeah? Because um, one is learning a lot about mind and grasping in the practice of shamatha without ob uh, with object, but uh, there could be a bit of also some you know, not trusting. Yeah, we what? I have to do something. I have to fix something. I have to get somewhere yeah, because this is not good enough. So to to let that go in our productivity addicted uh, culture, uh, that's uh, that's difficult. It leads also into confusion sometimes. So as always, uh, after the meditation, uh, when I talk, you can, uh, you can uh, just speak up. If you have a question, we will also have a break around eight o'clock. And then you can uh, write questions in the chat if you don't want to talk or you feel a bit shy about it. So that would be helpful to get a bit into a dialogue. Even on this level, uh, shamatha without object, it's good to get into a dialogue about it. It sounds easy and it is easy. But um, it's too easy, so that's why we, we have to discuss this. <laughs> so it's, it's too easy, so we have to discuss. <laughs> so let's uh, you know, do the usual thing with uh, shifting and then do a short mental bonding process, connecting with bodhicitta. And then I will take some time to explore doing nothing and being aware of being aware. So you adjust your posture in Mahamudra. The most important is relaxation. If it's possible, you see if what happens if you sit with open eyes and there's different ways. So the gaze is very relaxed. You can uh, keep the eyes just natural in the space in front of you. 
If you feel too distracted by this, it's okay. Particularly if you sit in front of the screen, it might be very distractive. But otherwise, play a bit with throughout the meditation, maybe then open the eyes and just see if it's possible for you to not look at things, but to take in the whole visual field in a relaxed way without focusing on anything. And then the awareness slides into the body, but you become aware that you are aware of the feet and the belly, the trunk of your body. Maybe you can take a few deeper in and out breaths. Sliding, sliding on the, on the in-breaths into the body, welcoming this moment, welcoming yourself. And then with the out-breath, opening the fist of grasping. Just softening and relaxing into the present moment, into present moment awareness. And as soon as you notice that you try to get something or you try to get rid of something, you're softening that. Maybe you can feel it also in your body, the grasping. Thoughts become less important, they are still there, but they're just one of the things which come and go. So neither clinging to thoughts nor trying to stop them. Just sitting, just being, being who you are and you bring yourself along. notice out of habit that your mind goes a bit towards the breath and that's fine you allow that to happen but keep the openness so whenever you notice that you focus in on something in the visual field or in the sensational field way, then you relax, you open. Becoming like space, being space.
call upon our mentors, here in this case, His Holiness the Dalai Lama, Ling Rinpoche, Tri Jung Rinpoche, Pabonka Rinpoche, going back to Chiki Gyalsen Rinpoche, and then Atisha Tilopa Shantideva, back to the Buddha, the Mahamudra lineage. And we call upon their blessings, their inspiration, their love, their freedom, loving awareness, which is bathing you. Pervading you. The mighty stillness, the mighty loving stillness of this lineage. Please bless my mental continuum. Please bless my mental continuum. And then they dissolve. you just rest, you find a place of rest. that you space out, sliding into dullness, you raise a bit the awakeness the awakeness by appreciating that this is a unique moment of your life, a precious unique moment, and you are present. And there's nothing to do. We are not going anywhere. There's no pressure. Just being here, and being here happens by itself, it's effortless.
then if you get distracted, meaning that you get entangled with an object, you step back again into beingness, into being here. Neither clinging nor rejecting, no picking, no choosing. and the mind to settle in a natural way. You unhook from thinking. Turning, resting, doing nothing. Being space. Sometimes you feel something should happen, or you should do something, or you wonder if you're doing it right. Just unhook from that. There's nothing you need to do, nothing you need to understand.
of being aware, being conscious that you are conscious. Relaxing into the relaxing as the unmoving space, the unmoving presence. without falling into dullness, into spaced-outness, being vividly present, awake. Effortlessly. It's not something you need to do. It's already happening. This moment happens by itself. You don't need to add, you don't need to take away. It is what it is already. This is it. This is all what is. There's something which is not changing. Presence, field of awareness. The knowing space through which this moment happens. The knowingness. As soon as you get a sense of awareness, then that's not it, because then that is an object.
we are also not trying to think less or feel more peaceful. We are aware that we can be aware of being peaceful and not peaceful. Letting go of the need to feel good. So, and then let's reconnect with uh, the Bodhisattva intention, the Bodhisattva vow with Bodhicitta. Gyalsen says that this is the path of the victors, of the Buddhas, and we are here to wake up and to grow up for the benefit of all, not for the benefit of the narcissistic eye, the mini-eye. But bringing forth our potential and creativity to make a difference, to serve, to share, to heal, to contribute, to stop to add to the violence in the world and to help where it's possible to help. I recommend you. I recommend that you play a bit with uh, sitting with open eyes. Initially, that is a bit strange. It seems to be more distractive, uh, but um, 
several reasons to sit with open eyes. One is, this is a Mahayana tradition, so it's about bringing this loving awareness, this spacious beingness into our relationships, into our daily life. And if we are spending our whole meditation practice with closed eyes, then there's, a, there's this gap between, okay, meditation means closing eyes and, and, and then we feel, oh, I can't meditate while I talk with someone or while I'm in the office or uh, while I'm connecting with someone. So we get used to this. Uh, the other, so that's the kind of the symbolic uh, Mahayana meaning. And then uh, it is the best remedy against dullness and falling asleep. So what we are want, what we want to cultivate in um, in our meditation practice is an an awakeness, an alertness, a clarity, and that's easier. So there's light. Yeah. So when we close your eye, when you close your eyes, it, it, it it's often easier to get sucked in into a kind of falling asleep, a kind of dullness, which is pleasant and seductive. Uh, but that's not, it's not meditation. We want to be present, yeah? uh, uh, alert, awake, and not uh, kind of losing ourselves in some dark, comfortable space. Um, and then, um, with open eyes, uh, particular then in the vipassana practice, um, we can uh, use uh, the space within the visual field as a as an entrance into the into the into that spaciousness. Uh, so the, the the space in the visual field. Uh, as a meditation object becomes a way to recognize the unmoving, spacious clarity of consciousness, of awareness. So try, try a little, you know, play a little. You can also divide your sessions a bit, maybe starting with your eyes closed to do some, some shamatha with, with object, and then... Uh, and then um, uh, open your eyes. Uh, also in tantric practice, when you uh, so in the generation stage of tantric practice, where you work with a deity, with a Buddha figure, it's actually also there recommended to sit with open eyes. And that's a little strange because uh, initially, because we feel to visualize a deity, it's much better to close my eyes. Yeah, but. The thing is that we're not doing the visualization, the so-called visualization of the deity with the visual consciousness. We do it with the mental consciousness. And if you get used to it, then you will start to discover that actually the image of the deity can become much more vivid, yeah, much more alive if you have your eyes closed, if you have your eyes open. And of course, if you do Theravada style, Shamatha or Vipassana practice, 
than uh, in these traditions where it is about self-liberation, then uh, they will emphasize uh, the practice with closed eyes. Yeah. Okay. So, let's look at the text. And we have a break. So we are in uh, in the in the part of actual practice. So after the chapter of the preliminary practice. And I just picked uh, some quotes uh, regarding uh, meditation instructions uh, of uh, Chikinima. And then after the break, I will use some of those. Within that state of fleeting appearances. So within that state of fleeting appearances. So the fleeting appearances, they are sem in the Tibetan language, the conditioned level of mind. So the fleeting appearances are everything which comes and goes. So this is the stream of the sense data of the five senses, including uh, the objects of, the, of what is called the mental consciousness, also called the sixth sense. So because we, can't, we not only can be aware of sounds and sights, we can be also, we are, we are actually aware of the mental dialogue, of mental images. Yeah? So that's the so-called sixth sense. It has nothing to do with sixth sense as something magical or some, some special thing. It is just, it is just this, the mental sense is the word for our capacity to be aware of our thoughts and the mental images. And the thoughts and mental images, they are fleeting appearances. They are objects of awareness. Within that state of fleeting appearances, do not modify anything with discursive thoughts, such as hopes, hopes, thinking about accomplishing certain goals, or fears concerning about whether or not certain undesirable things will eventuate. Yeah. So this is a non-modifying practice, a non-interfering practice, a non-fixing practice, a non-controlling practice. Yeah. Within the state of fleeting appearances, do not modify anything, no, no matter what it is. And of course, that's difficult for us because as soon there's something unpleasant, we want to fix it. We want to get rid of it. We want to calm down. We want to, uh, you know, we want to attain something. And we have been trusting that. That's what we think we we are supposed to do, or we should do, or that's instinctual. Yeah. So there is something unpleasant, and we try to get rid of it. 
and it's uh, it's it's not that easy somehow uh, to not do anything. Also, because we might have ideas that meditation is about becoming calmer or feeling better or opening the heart or feeling different than than this, yeah. Uh, and we we might have trained our mind many years for using techniques, using antidotes. And here, this is the end of using antidotes. Without wavering, that is without dwelling in the past, without anticipating, anticipating the future, and without moving around in the present. So, in this meditation, in, it's not even meditation, that's, it's called also non-meditation. Yeah? I sometimes call it just sitting. Because when we hear meditation, then we have all kinds of ideas, like there shouldn't be thoughts, or we should become more peaceful, or we're trying to get somewhere, or we're trying to get better at something. Uh, so it's maybe better to call it non-meditation, or just sitting, or, or just being. Yeah, just being. And just being is not something you need to do. It's happening. Um, so it's a good question how can we give up the hope for a better past and how and how can we give up hope for a better future and if if and noticing when our mind goes there which 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 out of habit it will to unhook from that so it's not about stopping it, because we are not in control. There is nobody in control. If we would be able to say to our mind, okay, don't think about the past, don't think about the future, it's a waste of time right now. You know, sometimes, obviously, it's helpful to put a bit of thoughts into the future, like when you book a plane or something like that. Um, but here for, for the practice, or maybe for 90% in our life, it's useless. Yeah? Because we are just fine in this moment, and usually we can actually handle this moment, even if it's difficult. Yeah? So that, that takes some time. You know, the, the image sometimes uh, being used is uh, becoming like a lion looking at grass. <laughs> so, it's like becoming a lion looking at grass. Yeah, the, the, the lion is not interested in grass. And it takes some time to, to really deeply, um, I almost said grok that, but I don't know if that is... <laughs> A known word. So, grok uh, to grok is is a word coming from a science fiction novel, uh, The Stranger, and it creeped into 
American language. And it means something. It means when you get something, really, like not rational, but you really get it. Yeah, it's just you get it. So it's it's difficult for us to get that the past is finished and the future has not happened yet. It's difficult to get that. Yeah. It is like that, obviously, if we reflect on it. But to get it, to really be like a lion looking at grass. Yeah. So your mind, of course, it will do it. As I said, we can't. That's not. That's out of out of control. So, but but what we are trained is to make that grasping. So there's thoughts about the past, there's thoughts thoughts about the future, to make that grasping part of that coming and going. So it's not like that. You need to do something with the grasping because that would be again doing something, trying to get rid of something. The grasping happens out of habit and you unhook from that. You just allow that to happen. So even the grasping or the resistance becomes like grass. You look at it and you're not interested in doing. You don't judge it. So you're not saying, oh, I shouldn't judge. So I'm, I'm judging my judgment. Yeah? Or I shouldn't grasp. And then you grasp at not grasping. So if the grasping is there, that's just a seagull flying by when you sit by the beach. You see, it's impossible not to do this because you can't do it wrong. So if there's grasping and judging, that's completely fine. That's, that's it. That's your experience. And it comes and goes. It, it becomes part of the seamless field of awareness within within everything which within which everything is coming and going it's not wrong nothing is wrong it is what it is and we take our fingers away from it whatever it is the other thing which could happen that like a, a peace arises yeah and then we want to have more of it and then the grasping goes towards the other direction. So it's uh, it's not uh, uh, stopping, uh, no. So it's not trying to stop something, but it's trying to get to, to, to get more of something. So then um, there is uh, the there is that possibility that you fall into a kind of spacious dullness. Yeah. So again, that's not a problem, but you don't you don't lose yourself into it. So. If dullness or sleepiness is there, that's what is, and we don't try to fix it, but we don't 
get sucked into it. So then we step back again. We make it part of the seamless field, the field of our experience. Initially, and we talked a bit about that also in the Shamatha uh, uh, course, initially it might be necessary to do a checking in practice. Like sometimes you kind of, you, 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 like you check in, you, 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 not so you, you kind of, so how am I doing? What is happening? What is with my posture? Am I lost in the seductive dark space in dullness? Am I completely hooked by thoughts? So initially, the, the mental factor of introspection needs to be a bit triggered. Yeah? And this can be done by you know, some bells maybe, like you use a timer and every five minutes it reminds you and then you check, okay, so am I doing what I'm, what I wanted to do? Uh, am I doing the doing nothing? Yeah. It's so it's, it's, <laughs> am I, am I doing the doing nothing? It's, 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 it's in a way a doing, yeah. It's very precise. It's not so, and sometimes initially we need to check, and of course that's a doing. Yeah. So in that moment, to to kind of bring introspective awareness to the to the foreground, it's a bit of a doing, obviously. Uh, but um, it takes some time until that introspective awareness does its job, does its job continuously without you needing to kind of, okay, am I am I still doing it? Yeah, am I still am I still doing doing the doing nothing? So that that is introspective awareness. The, the uh, Lama Yeshu calls it the the watchman. Yeah. So, uh, and it's a bit of a distraction, obviously, but initially we might do it maybe every five minutes or something yeah? to kind of um, divide our meditation session, which is maybe twenty five minutes or thirty minutes or forty minutes, in into little five minutes uh, kind of units yeah? and then it's like so you get back a bit into into uh, doing nothing uh, with a certain uh, awakeness and I want to uh, quote uh, one instruction from Chirky Gjaldsen he says, when observing in this way, whatever thoughts arise, simply recognize each one. Or alternatively, 
just like the Swartzmans and so on, any thoughts arises, cut it off completely. So whatever thoughts arise, simply recognize each one and cut it off completely. So cut it off does not mean to stop it. Cut, cut it off means to unhook, to unhook from the thought. Or in other words, you give up thinking or you give up the trust into thinking. So we need to realize that no thoughts, even the most spiritual one, the most amazing thought, will bring you home. They're useless in this. Yeah? They are not in generally useless. I mean, 95% they are useless, but we want to keep these 5% of uh, helpful thoughts. Okay, so it is giving up thinking, not in the sense that it stops, but we, we, we lose interest. It's a bit like there is a television program, like right now, in the neighbor, neighbor room. I can hear some stupid German political discussion. And uh, I'm not interested. I'm generally not interested. It does not disturb me, but I'm also not interested. I'm completely unhooked, unhooked from it. It just comes and goes like a wind blowing. One image here from the Dzogchen tradition I find helpful is that thoughts are like drawings made on flowing water. So in, in, this, in the moment they arise, they already disappear. They are almost nothing. It's, it's safer to say they are nothing, actually, than to say that they are something. So give up the refuge into thoughts. We are not talking about understanding something here. So whatever thought arise, simply recognize each one. And here, in this stage, we are not interested in these kind of vipassana questions like where do the thoughts come from and where do they where they do where do they dissolve into? So that's that's already vipassana practice. So unhooking from thoughts, looking at them, looking at them as drawings on flowing water. So let's play with that a little. So you adjust your posture again. Here, the most important thing is relaxation. So if you are kind of a hardcore Zen practitioner, just relax. 
So you can also lean against something or lie down or um, so here the posture is not uh, this kind of trying to keep things together posture. So we we uh, we also sometimes when we use the meditation posture like that, we we kind of make it something like a spiritual event. So this is this is too boring to be a spiritual event. <laughs> the Mahamudra practice is is too boring to make an event out of it by you know kind of seven posture this and that and memorizing it and checking am I sitting right and stuff like that so just allow and then initially probably it's helpful to do a bit of focusing on the body and the breath so that the body and the mind can settle This practice is also called settling the mind in its natural state. Full body breath. And then opening your awareness into choiceless panoramic awareness. Recognizing that everything is flowing and by itself. Letting go of hopes of and fears. Just sitting present moment awareness, effortless present moment awareness. Relaxing, non-interfering, non-manipulating, non-fixing. Just doing what you're doing. Just this, just here, just being. Conscious that you're conscious.
So unhooking from thoughts. Notice them arising like drawings on flowing water, having no substance, being nothing, and being useless like grass for a lion. clinging to them, not rejecting them. And looking from thoughts, give up thinking. Open choiceless panoramic awareness. doing nothing. the spaciousness, relax into that. If you fall into a dark, seductive dullness, you raise a bit your energy, being alert, being awake. So let's slide out of this. But notice that um, it's not the end of the meditation. It didn't start, so it can't end. So there, at one point, there shouldn't be a difference between you know, listening to a talk or asking a question 
or having a cup of tea there, uh, and, and what is called meditation. So there, there's no difference. It's, um, it's the same. Maybe a little more is happening more movements or more sounds where well, I talk a little more than before but uh, being aware is still happening it's the same that does not change so if you start to get a taste of this then you know, if someone asks you how, how long you meditate, then, then that question doesn't make any sense anymore. You might still sit quietly in something like a meditation posture it's it's not a big deal it's it's not really like oh my meditation practice i missed my meditation practice if i if you don't do it or if you do if you do it if you sit quietly you don't feel wow now i did my meditation practice that's so wonderful i'm such a good meditator so all these all these thoughts they they stop to disappear So the recommendation in this kind of practice is to do short sessions. And if you would sit uh, longer than five, ten minutes, then probably in the beginning it's good to divide it, to kind of make little, little moments. And then maybe move your body a bit and then you, you go back. Yeah. In a retreat, that would be like 30 meditation sessions throughout the day. So we are not going for this kind of 40 minutes Theravada style Vipassana practice where we are distracted all the time. So rather short, short moments, maybe even just a minute. And then also it can be embedded into uh, other kinds of practice. If you have a, a tantric sadhana, so you would do your stuff and then within it or uh, uh, shortly or towards the end, you would uh, do the doing nothing, just sitting. So I will just sit uh, uh, read the question. So Anna asks, uh, is there non-space behind space, something underlying space, then what is that? So that's a Vipassana practice. So I'm not going to answer that. We will look into that next time.
Yeah, so uh, Erjan asked about uh, the, uh, the open eyes. Um, yeah, so that's uh, you know common that you know two images overlapping. It becomes sometimes for some people it becomes like moving a bit trippy, like being on a LSD trip or something. Uh, so all that, uh, whatever it is, all strangeness, uh, that's part of the visual field. So it's just like okay. So then, then you then you just let that be. Yeah, and then physically, there's also you know then the, the eyes go uh, they close you know and maybe it's a bit unpleasant. So that's also just something which comes and goes. But also one can uh, one can experiment a bit, you know, like with half closed eyes, or uh, you know, so you can uh, you can also where your uh, where your eyes are initially directed, like more like down into the space in front of you, or just straight, you know. Also, there is a practice of when particular when you do this outside with uh, combined with the practice of sky gazing where you actually roll your eyes a bit up. And that's also an interesting, uh, interesting experience. So, so you're not, if you do sky gazing, you're not like doing your head like this, but you stay within the meditation posture and you just roll your eyes a little up. And um, this is a teaching from the Dzogchen tradition. There seems to be an energetic channel between the eyes and the heart. And by rolling up the eyes, there could be a sensation of bringing a bit more warmth, a bit more heart quality into the practice. You can try that out. So there is no certain posture. And then, of course, if this visual thing or the unpleasant experiences um, in your eyes become too distractive yeah so then just close the eyes so uh, because uh, also if you have your eyes closed there's still the visual field you actually see something uh, there there's things happening so you can you can then close uh, close your eyes um, it is recommended if you uh, wear glasses that you take off the glasses in this practice. Yeah. Yeah, and of course, then you don't see uh, so much as before, but it, it is not about seeing. <laughs> so it's not about uh, clarity within the visual field. So then, uh, how combine just being, no hope, no fear, with the Buddhist et ethics uh, and compassion and so on? So, uh, the gradual path practices, ethics, compassion, shamatha with object, you know, the whole lamrim. Uh, so that is part of the gradual gradual approach within it in this and this was covered in the first part of this text the preliminary practice yeah so it, 
and that makes sense. Yeah. So the interesting thing in this text is that it is a combination between the gradual path of awakening and the direct path. Uh, so in other traditions uh, where they are more radical, uh, they you wouldn't you you wouldn't have that you need to get ready kind of stuff. Uh, and uh, the idea and the direct path is, uh, so if it's combined with Vipassana, so if you get really good at uh, the practice of open awareness, open choiceless awareness, that's very nice and peaceful, but it's not liberating. It's, it will not get you anywhere, yeah. Because in order to uh, cut through ignorance, you need to have wisdom. So you need to have the vipassana aspect. Uh, and the idea is, uh, what also the experiences with this combination of shamatha, either shamatha with object or without object, and vipassana, you connect with the goodness within you. Which already uh, which already wants to embody or which already irradiates non-violence, non-grasping, and compassion. So there's nothing to develop. There's no rules one need to follow. So if you rest in Rigpa, then out of Rigpa only benefit comes. You don't need to practice ethics. Why would you want to practice ethics when only an intelligence goodness radiates from your being? That does not need to be uh, kept in some guidelines or don't do this or don't do that. There is a spontaneous benefit uh, coming out of that, of that experience. Uh, obviously, uh, since uh, most of us um, are still um, governed by the mini-me. So for us, you, it is helpful to um, have a combination of uh, gradual awakening practices and then slowly, slowly, more and more to trust your natural goodness, your natural intelligence. And sometimes what comes from that natural goodness, effortless goodness, the behavior looked upon from outside might actually a violation of some uh, some Buddhist ethic, ethical rules, some ethical guidelines. Yeah. So as radical as even killing someone. Yeah. So that's like this example of the, of the Buddha in his previous lives when he was a Bodhisattva. He, he killed someone, yeah? but it came out from it came out of Bodhicitta. Yeah? So any other teachings than uh, resting in uh, in Rikpa is provisional. It's for that it's teachings for people who are completely confused. It's like placebos for people who are confused. 
I, I just wanted to share one more image uh, uh, connected with this uh, practice of settling the mind in its natural state. And that is this image, I, I used it before, uh, of a, a glass of water with mud inside, which is stirred up. So, uh, so the stirred upness, uh, uh, the, the mud in the water, represents the fleeting experiences, what, what Chicky Yeltsin just called the fleeting experience. And the, the water, the clarity of the water, that's what we are after in the practice uh, uh, of uh, shamatha without object. So not that we that we are not aware of the content, so it's a bit both. So it's the content and the space within which everything is happening. Later in the vipassana practice, then we ask this kind of question, okay, are they two different things? The fleeting experiences and the space within which everything happens, are they actually two different things? And they are not, yeah, but... Um, but um, uh, so that would be uh, that would be uh, uh, this kind of uh, investigation, this kind of inquiry, uh, is a part of uh, vipassana practice. So there's this mud and there's the water. So in the practice of um, shamatha without object what we do is we do nothing yeah so that's the thing you you just put the glass of water down and it settles so that's that's the settling the mind in its natural state you don't need to do something with the the mud actually from the point of view of this practice any doing any kind of focusing any kind of trying to control or any antidote actually stirs up the mud. Yeah. And that's what we try to do. We try to, uh, uh, we try to do something with the mud. We try to suppress it or we try to put an antidote into it. Like when there's anger, then we try to put the antidote of compassion into it. But the compassion which we put into it in itself is also mud. It is also stirring up the, the natural state of our mind. Yeah. So it's, it's, a, it's a challenge for us. It's also a challenge because we don't trust our goodness. We, we don't trust that there's nothing wrong with us. And there, there can be almost like a bit of panic. So what... A, so what with what is with all my therapy and self-improvement projects and doing this and doing that and I got so good at it and and uh, and to kind of in this in the context of this practice to let it all go to really give up the hope of a better future like the thought yeah but I need to do this and this and this and that and then maybe in one year or in 10 years or something then i can meditate but then it will be as difficult as now because it will always suck what what comes and goes i mean there will there's also nice things yeah but uh, basically it will not change yeah. so 
nevertheless, and that's the maybe for us the the power of this text uh, um, is that we also do the other work. We also do the cleaning up and purifying and growing up practices. So we, we, we also do that parallel, yeah? And finding a good balance into that. Uh, of course, if you go deeper, more deep, deeply into the practice of Dzogchen and Mahamudra, then all this kind of uh, energy work and therapy and working with traumas and so you still do it but it's you don't you you take it less serious because uh, you know it's uh, it seems to be helpful probably it is um, because if if it's really stirred up and you're really like in in a reactive state then probably it's good to take a placebo and and to kind of you know get a little more space so that you can be aware of being aware being conscious about being conscious but from this point of view it doesn't matter if you are aware of a childhood trauma or if you are aware of feeling in love it's the same from the point of view of being conscious, from the point of view of being aware. It's, it's the same. So this is not about feeling good. It's about becoming aware that you have the capacity to be, to be aware of feeling good and bad. That's what we are curious about. And that capacity, the consciousness, the knowingness, that does not change through being aware of a trauma or being aware of being in love. That, that does not change. So then I will uh, bring another quote uh, from Shiki Gyalsen. So we are still in Shamatha without objects. So we have not entered yet the Vipassana, Vipassana practice. Whatever thoughts arise, when you observe their nature, they vanish and pure vacuity dawns. Yeah. So probably you have heard that kind of instruction before. It's also in Lama Yeshe's book. Uh, and Lama Yeshe describes it like this, or he calls it the gap between thoughts. Yeah. So whatever thoughts arise when you observe the nature, so you look like directly at them, you know, as if you are looking at a at a at something with your visual consciousness. So you directly look at them. Obviously, you don't look at them with your visual consciousness. You look at them with your mental consciousness. Yeah, what is called mental consciousness. So you directly look at them. Yeah. And you observe the nature, which is pretty much nothing, and a pure vacuity dawns. So that is also this image of thoughts are like drawings on on flowing water. So they arise, and then a vacuity dawns. What what? So that's what Lama Yeshe calls the gap between thoughts. 
Of course, that vacuity is also there when the thought is still doing its thing. Uh, in the same way, the clarity of the water is still there when the mud is stirred up. So the clarity remains. You, you, you could even say the water is still clear. The, the nature of water is not changing. And here in the Mahamudra approach, uh, uh, unless it is essence Mahamudra, but in Sutra Mahamudra and Tantra Mahamudra, the approach is that we can become aware of the clarity of the water only once there is a certain stillness. Yeah. So, from from a sutra mahamudra point of view or tantra mahamudra point of view, the work of calming down, healing traumas, uh, learning emotional release practices with the breath or you know, yoga, tai chi, qigong. So that that makes all sense. It's different in the Dzogchen tradition. So in the Dzogchen tradition, they say, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It's, it's already here. It, it's, it doesn't matter if it's stirred up or if it's, if it's more clear. Yeah? So it's, it's a slight difference. So the, as you can see in this text, there's a, bit, a lot of emphasis actually in the preliminary practice. And also here in the Mahamudra, uh, in the in the Shamatha without object, it's still you know, it's a practice. It's something, it's something which is supposed to help the mud to settle, so that the clarity, which is always there, also when the mud is not settled, becomes more obvious. Like you not know? so. Why if you if you use the the image of the clouds and the sky. So in Sutta Mahamudra and Tantra Mahamudra, they would say, okay, let's take care of the clouds first. Yeah. Whereas in Dzogchen, they would say, doesn't matter if there's clouds or not, the sky remains, uh, remains untouched. So they, uh, have the, they have that approach that the clarity can be pointed out to you by a teacher without your mind being in any way different than it is right now. And I guess for most of us, uh, as I said, the combination of healing practices, of settling the mind, of removing uh, tension, well, removing healing, healing tension and traumas within the body, uh, that that makes really sense uh, from 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 the Mahamudra point of view. Yeah. And in essence, Mahamudra, that is the same like Dzogchen. That's a direct pointing out from teacher to student, uh, no matter how messed up the student is, doesn't matter. You can be completely crazy, doesn't matter.
because the the the, the clarity of mind itself of consciousness itself uh, is untouched so the last uh, instruction here i want to read is no matter what kind of thoughts arise without stopping them yeah so this is like without stopping them this is also quite difficult for like professional meditators because in most meditative tradition thoughts have a bad reputation uh, you know sometimes people even think i don't meditate because there's still thoughts yeah so there is this kind of and and in in that makes sense in a certain context in a certain kind of practice but here that would be an obstacle if you feel that somehow you need to block out thoughts or that they are a sign that you're not meditating or something like that, then, then, uh, then, then it, then it uh, makes uh, this practice very uh, frustrating because you still try to apply antidotes or you, do, you still try to get rid of something. So without stopping them, rock, recognize when they move and where they move. When they move and where they move. So where, where, where do they move, your thoughts? So now forget anything you have read about the brain or something like that. So here we are using our introspection. Not any images of thoughts are somehow connected with some activity in the brain or something. Uh, so we drop that idea for 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 this context. So we completely drop that idea that the movement of thoughts and that that thinking have anything to do with the brain and that they are localized in the brain. So we drop that thought for this, and then after you can continue to study in certain the the. the neuropsychology of thoughts and what happens in the brain that, that but that's completely uninteresting uh, here it's disturbing to have that kind of images uh, because they they this kind of uh, false information we have actually leads to leads to this experience some people have that my my thoughts are in my brain yeah uh, so so we, we look at uh, the coming and going of thoughts with a fresh, with a fresh uh, beginner's mind, not knowing where they are, forgetting all the books, yeah. and relying on, on introspection, relying on the immediate experience. I'm not saying there is no uh, correlation bef between thoughts and and brain activity but correlation is not the same as causation it's not the same and that's a mistake many people do many people confuse correlation with causation so it's two things happening together that means they are that one of them causes the other yeah. and uh, and they they have not proved that at all yet so we look at this fresh they can prove the correlation between thoughts and brain, uh, 
but they can't say anything what caused what. There's equally uh, uh, enough uh, proof that actually the thoughts cause the mental activity, the, the brain activity, not the other way around. Yeah, so that's uh, and then uh, there's a long section uh, where uh, Chugi Gelsen uses this uh, different metaphors, uh, but we have already talked about them in the text uh, of of Lama Yeshe in one of the first sessions. So. That's like uh, you know, the sky and, and so on, a different, uh, a different images, like an eagle soars through the sky, like a great ocean, um, like an infant looks inside a temple and you're not being impressed because it doesn't mean anything to the infant. Uh, so these are uh, images in, and you can uh, go back to them uh, and read for yourself uh, if you find something helpful uh, for you. Uh, and if one of these images particular speaks to you, then you can bring it into your in, into your meditation. So you, 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 of course, it's not really the practice because you are still using some some image, some metaphor, but it can be like a stepping stone into the experience. So. Uh, you can read uh, you can read the, the this part for yourself in the text. Um, it's pretty self-explanatory, and yeah, it's just some images, and they might be helpful. And if they are not helpful, then you just drop them. And at one point, we need to drop them, obviously, because. Uh, you know, meditating like the mind, like the sky, or the heart, like the sky, is still uh, conceptual. It's not the it's not the direct experience. It's it's using a mental images, which hopefully at one point lead you into what is described. Yeah. But it's not meditating on the mental image of the sky. Yeah. Maybe there's still a question. Yeah, so what's the connection between uh, the backward step, uh, which I explained in the Vipassana practice, in this? Um, so, the The backward step, uh, so meaning, you know, uh, for example, using the, the image of uh, consciousness as a river, and you can be entangled or you can step out and you look at. Uh, so you are not identified with the content of your experience, but 
you are the observer of the content. So this uh, practice also has two levels. So on what I just said so far about this practice, it is still a dualistic practice. Yeah? So and it is one way of describing what we are doing here. Yeah? So it's, it's stepping back, being the observer. But here in the Mahmudra practice, we are the observer. And what do we observe? We are not only observing the flow of consciousness. We are also observing the space within which everything is happening. So the, the object is a bit different. Yeah. Uh, so the, 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 uh, the, the practice can be uh, stepping back into the observer, being the observer and looking at what is happening. So now we're stepping back and we're looking at what is happening, but we're also looking at the space within which everything is happening. We are also looking at the nothing, at the space. And that becomes our interest. So in the other practice, in the, Vipassa, in the kind of Theravada-style Vipassana practice, the object is what, what flows, and then we look at that and we investigate into that. And seeing the three characteristics, anicca, anatta, dukkha. Yeah. Here, we're stepping back and we are looking at the, the flow and that which is not flowing. Yeah. So now, this is still a dualistic practice. And it's so now, and that's what we're going to do next time. And you have two weeks now to master this practice. <laughs> So, as you're ready for the next step. So, the next step is then, and it's, I mean, there were already questions today, uh, because it's, it, it arises obviously. Yeah. Uh, so, what, what turns this now into uh, Mahamudra Vipassana is who is observing? What is observing? The flow and the non-flow. But what is what is the observer? What is that which is looking? Uh, and then, then these questions, which already were asked in the chat, they naturally arise. For example, is that which is looking and what you're looking at is that two different things. Are they the same? Are they different? Are they neither the same nor different? Yeah. So this uh, this is what we are what we will look uh, into next time. So you can you can have a feeling, you can get a feeling now that shamatha without object kind of, I mean, it's 
it's almost there, yeah. So, or it leads quite naturally into Mahamudra Vipassana. So, it, it's not like two different, completely two different practices. The same, the same as Shamatha and Vipassana in the Theravada style practice. They are not like two completely two different things because if you investigate into the objects then you, you your mind is focused uh, so uh, it's it's not like really two different things it's like describing something uh, with a rational mind and dividing it uh, for ped pedagog pedagogical purposes but uh, they are they are pretty close but obviously as long as you have a sense that there's an observer looking at the clarity and the openness of mind, then there's still dual, it's, there's, it's still dualistic meditation. There's still two. There's the I, which might be not like the mini I, the mini me. Yeah, but there is still a kind of identification with a center position from where you look. Yeah, it maybe not carries your name. It doesn't have your gender. It doesn't have your problems because it is aware of your gender. It is aware of your problems. It is aware of your feelings. But there's still like a sense of wow, I, yeah, that's, there's an observer, and I am that observer. Yeah, and that is what I observe. So it's not the experience of non-duality. And the uh, vipassana practice in Mahamudra, that leads into the uh, into the experience of non-duality. Yes, okay. So we dedicate the goodness of this meeting to all the unknown bodhisattvas who are at the edge and also to all the people who are struggling more than usual and also to ourselves, so to our own awakening so that we might grow up and wake up uh, for the benefit of all uh, through the practice of uh, Mahamudra And maybe you have particular people, you know, friends or family, people you know, uh, the hospital which is close to you, you know, some, some uh, places you are more connected with, maybe. So we share loving awareness. Loving awareness, compassionate presence. <laughs> 